We do have uh, a lot to discuss this morning in the passage that we're, uh, that we're talking about, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have a smartphone or a smart device, you can jump on the Bible app and uh, the verses will be there along with some notes that you can follow along and on the live event. Uh, and if you don't have either of those options, the words will be up on the screen so you can follow along with us. Uh, but we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, and it is Galatians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. It says this, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When, we, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers that, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into it to this morning. Dear Holy Father, God, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Um, God, I pray that as we work through um, your word this morning and process uh, the implications of what it means for our lives, God, that it would be very clear uh, what you're trying to teach us. And I pray um, that as a result of it, that we would uh, go away from this place and uh, be united under the banner of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I understand that there's a there's a variety of people in the room with different backgrounds and different um, thoughts, maybe different church experiences, God, but we know that you have brought us here together um, for, for the purpose of worshiping you and glorifying you, and so I pray that that was what we would do this morning, that um, our eyes and our hearts and our minds would be fixed on you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, uh, if you read the first part of this passage, evidently Peter had gone to Antioch to visit. And uh, if, if you know, if, if you've been tracking with us at all uh, through this series, you know that uh, Peter was part of the church in Jerusalem. We saw that Paul, after 14 years of uh, kind of going around, he came back and visited the church in Jerusalem. And Peter was one of those people. Peter and James and John were three of the people that he went and, and had a conversation with to talk about the gospel message that had been being proclaimed in the areas where Paul was visiting and going and starting churches. And so it had, it had been some time. And here's what's crazy about like it, it, our temptation is to maybe, or maybe it's just mine, is to read scripture as if it's happening like moment, like it's a play by play, like, oh, this is what happened next. This is what happened next. And there's actually some time frame that happens in between even a one verse or two. Like we saw last week as Pastor Ray was talking that there was a 14 year time gap in between one verse to the next. And it was like, oh, that's quite a long time. Like that's over a decade. So um, it's not just like, like, oh, and then the next day or next week we went to this. And so we got to keep that kind of in mind uh, when we're reading through Scripture. That was me. Is it my fault? It was probably my fault. Chris, is it my fault? He's it's always, always my fault. <laughs> Several things have broken this morning, and I think it's because of me. Okay, so if my mic shuts off again, I'll just keep talking. Did, did it do it again? No, okay, 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 okay. It's my fault. 
I break things. Don't let me touch anything electronic. I love electronics, but somehow I tend to break them sometimes. And then I troubleshoot, which is fun for me. I like, I'm getting off track. Okay, so we're going to get back to the story, okay? Uh, so there was this time gap in between where... Uh, where Paul was talking, and we see Peter, he goes to visit Antioch, and evidently he spent some time there, because it says, uh, Paul says later on, he says, but when, uh, and sorry, he says, for what he did was very wrong. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him face to face. In verse 12, he says, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers, but then he says later, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore. So we know that there was kind of this time gap, uh, this visit. We don't know how long the visit was or the extended, the extent of his visit at, to Antioch, but we know that he did spend some time there because he had time to at least share one meal with some Gentiles. And then some people came along that were part of the church in Jerusalem or James's friends. And all of a sudden we see Peter's behavior change. We see that his response to these people who he obviously developed relationship with change and his posture toward these people change. And I don't know if you know anyone, like typically you don't just invite strangers into your home and all of a sudden share a meal with them. Sometimes you do, but that doesn't, like it takes time to develop relationships with people and it starts to, you start to share meals together. Maybe you go out to eat together. Maybe you have them into your home and you cook a meal for them or whatever, whatever the case may be. There's evidence here that Peter actually had relationship and was in communion or fellowship with these uh, Gentile believers. And so he had fellowship, they understood the gospel, and he was doing that, and then some people came along, and all of a sudden, we see Peter's behavior or his response and his posture toward these people dramatically change. And so that's really what I want to spend a a majority of our time kind of talking about this morning So keep in mind, this is the same Peter and James that were considered pillars of the church. And Paul had gone to them and he asked them, he confirmed with them that the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel was that Jesus came to set us free through faith in him alone. And that's it. It was the bottom line that the only requirement for salvation, the only requirement for right standing with God was faith in Jesus. And that was the bottom line. It was like Jesus only. And so they're battling this Jesus Christ plus culture where he says like, yeah, Jesus is great, but now we got to do all these things. And so that's kind of like what Paul is working through with these Gentile believers and these Jewish believers who are now in, in fellowship with one another, and they grew up vastly different. And we're going to see how that affects their life uh, today. So it's worth it for us to see, and I'm so glad that this portion of scripture is in it because it confronts some prejudice, it it confronts some uh, preconceived ideas that I have, even in my own life, that I have to work through. Because I grew up in a certain way. You grew up in a certain way. You have certain experiences when it comes to church and religion. You have certain experiences that I don't have. I have experiences that you don't have. And so we're all on this journey working through this stuff together. But the reality is, is there was an agreed upon truth that was given by Jesus Christ himself. Paul's very clear that the message of the gospel that he was sharing with people came directly from Jesus, the person of Jesus, whom he met on the road to Damascus. And so Paul is able to communicate the message of the gospel with complete confidence because it wasn't something he made up. It wasn't something that he was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I'll share that with people. It was this idea. It wasn't even an idea. It was truth from Jesus Christ 
Christ himself, and yet, and the people, the pillars of the church that Paul interacted with were in agreement that that was the truth of the gospel message, that the only requirement for right standing with God and fellowship in the family of God was faith in Jesus alone. So Paul and the church leaders agreed that Jesus really did transcend race. He transcended nationality and also cultural practices. Because if you look at the lifestyle of the Gentiles, you look at the lifestyle of a Jewish believer, they're vastly different. They're very, very opposed to one another. They grew up in very different ways with very different experiences. And Peter had lost sight of the gospel, and Paul was unapologetic in defending the truth of the gospel, even though it meant having a hard conversation with a friend and a co-laborer in Christ. And sometimes I think it's important for us to see the conflict and the confrontation that we see in Scripture in an attempt to defend the truth of the gospel. And that's not to say that we should always be at odds with one another or that we should oppose one another for the sake of opposing one another. But Paul here is saying this was worth it because what Peter was doing was actually very wrong and it was detrimental to the health of the church and the churches that were in that area. And so um, he wanted to ensure that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, didn't get buried in human prejudice or human thinking. And if you think about it, it's a very, thi- very human thing to have human preferences, right, or, or prejudices. And so before we, we go pointing the finger at Peter and say, how dare you, let's begin to think through some of the prejudices and some of the things that we actually have to work through in our own hearts and our lives. And so I want to give you a working definition because I think if you throw the word prejudice out, there's a vast different uh, reaction from maybe some, some people, depending on your experience or whatever it may be, you, we may have different ideas of what that is. And so I want to give us a very simple working definition of what I'm talking about when I say prejudice as we talk about it today. And so that is just this. It's a preconceived opinions, or it's preconceived opinions that is not based on reason or actual experience. So here's what you have to understand about Peter. Peter had zero experience being a Gentile, or what it was like to be a Gentile. Now, that's not me slamming Peter. That's me stating reality. He didn't know what it was like to be a Gentile because he wasn't a Gentile. He grew up as a Jewish man. He grew up in a very different way than some of the Gentile believers that he had developed relationship with. And so there was maybe some lifestyle differences. There were some practices, some cultural practices, maybe even some preferences that you look at and you're like, "Mm, man, actually that's not how I grew up. And I was told that that was wrong. And now it's right and like, or it's not wrong. And so I'm really confused here. So we have to give Peter actually some grace when we understand and when we look at this passage, because our temptation could be like, I can't believe Peter did that right? Like we're, we're quick to point the finger and be like, how bad was that guy? No, we got to understand some things and then even take a look at our own life and, exper- and think through some of our own experiences and some of the prejudices maybe that we have that we personally have to work through in order to be unified under the gospel. So being a Jew or part of, or part of God's chosen people, Peter battled the assumption that one must not only accept Jesus to be in right standing with God, but also become Jewish by following cultural practices and also dietary laws. There were some things that you were required to do as a Jew growing up that when Jesus came and said, hey, now like people 
of all race and all nationality and all cultural practices can actually come together and accept the message of the gospel and be rescued by God's grace, that kind of seems a little bit unfair, right? To Peter or someone who grew up as a Jew because they're thinking, I spent my entire life following these religious practices in an attempt to be in right standing with God or to have fellowship with God. And now you're saying that that's now, that barrier is now broken because of, of Jesus and people can actually be put in right standing with God. That's something that had to work through the mind of Peter as a Jewish man growing up, right? And so we got to keep in mind that this stuff was ingrained in Peter from birth. Right? And Peter's prejudice was, was, one that must, or was that one must accept Jesus, but also become like a Jew in order to be a part of the family of God and have true fellowship with Christ and other believers. Okay? And so I'm, I'm putting some assumptions on, uh, on Peter to help us think through what it must have been like for someone who grew up as a Jewish man, so, to, so that we can see maybe from his perspective and his point of view and begin to maybe have a little bit of grace, but then also give us an opportunity to look into our own lives and say, and ask ourselves the question, what are some of the things that I struggle with? What are some of the things that I uh, wrestle, I have to wrestle through when it comes to being united with people simply on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone? So depending on how you were raised and your experience in church, uh, your, or your interactions with religion, um, you too have developed a set of prejudices or expectations that if, you're, if we're not careful, we can expect someone to live up to in order to truly belong to the family of God and have fellowship with Christ and even us, Right? What happens is over time, we create this idea in our mind of what the perfect Christian looks like and by the way, that's based on our own personal interactions and our own thinking, right? Because after all, we can do no wrong. And so what we do is we develop in our minds the perfect Christian, and we think it's us, right? And then we actually expect or hold others to the standard that we've developed in our own mind of what the perfect Christian looks like. And when somebody doesn't live up to that standard, our temptation is to be like, mm, yeah, poor them. They don't understand yet. And, and to maybe discard or to break fellowship with or to maybe not associate as closely with someone like them as you would as somebody who lines up maybe more with your thinking and your expectations that you've developed in your own mind. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay, hopefully you are. Um, so we create this idea of the perfect Christian and we expect others to live up to it in order to say, in our minds, we can check off the box and say, okay, that person must be a Christian because they act like, look like, talk like, respond like me, right? And that's our temptation is we develop this idea and then we put that expectation on others so that we can have fellowship with them. And this is really, I, I think, the, at the heart of what Peter was dealing with and, and wrestling through because here he is with these Gentile believers, these people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? They've said yes to Jesus. They've been put in right standing with God, in right relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for them. That's the truth of the gospel message. And so he has relationship 
with him, yet there's, a peop- there's people that he grew up with or has association with that came that he's like, oh man, may- they might not think it's cool if I hang out with this person. And so I got to kind of shy away from this person so that they don't think that I've maybe given up on some of the things that I have held so tightly to in the past. So really, it's our own way of adding to the gospel right? Uh, if someone identifies with, the, with an opposing political party, we do this with politics. If someone opposes with, a, uh, with, an, with the opposing uh, political party, we call into question whether or not they're truly a follower of Jesus. Now, don't raise your hand, but sometimes the temptation is to be like, oh, they don't think like me. And, and how dare them? Like, can, do they know, do they understand what that party stands for? And if they do, then surely maybe they're, maybe, maybe they're not a Christian like I am because we have different political views. We think this, or we do this with social and economic class, right? We look at someone else's social or economic position, and the temptation, if we're not careful, can be, oh man, if they were truly a follower of Jesus, wouldn't God bless them with more stuff? And how wrong is that? We do this mostly with cultural behaviors, and this is what we see happening here in this passage, is when we see someone doing something that we were taught growing up was very wrong or anti-gospel, whether it was biblical or not, we are tempted to think, oh, that person doesn't think the same way I do, or they don't think that's wrong in the way that I think it is. And so, therefore, we're at odds with one another. We, we, truly, we, we think if they were truly a Christian, would they be doing that? So here's an example in my own life, and I don't know why this is burned into my mind, but I'm going to give you an idea, an insight into my own life, and so hopefully this will help bring it to a level of understanding where, where hopefully we're all on the same page. Is, so as I was a kid growing up, I, spent, I, was, I was a rule follower, right? Like I, I was an incredible legalist. Like I, I followed the rules to the T. You gave me a rule, and if you told me that that rule would put me in right standing with God and make him love me, I was in. Like, I could do it. And so I really, in a lot of ways, took my own salvation into my own hands and said, man, I can do this thing. I can make this happen on my own by following this list of rules. This is perfect. It was in my control. And so the assumption was that everyone else must do the same. And they must abide by and follow the same set of rules that I'm required to follow in order to be in right standing with God. So I put the expectation on other people. And when people didn't meet up to that expectation, right, the assumption was, oh man, I don't, like, we're, we're in different worlds. Like, I don't know if I can have fellowship with you because you're doing things that is not on my list of things that is right to do. And that's wrong, right? And so here's, a, here's the example. Uh, I, I, I was, we were at church and I knew this guy for years. Um, and he was, I said hi to him every Sunday morning. He said hi to me. He was an incredibly kind man. Um, he loved our family, and I, we were on our way home from church. We stopped at a store called Kroger. How many of you guys know what Kroger is? Okay, oh, sweet, more people than I thought. I haven't seen a Kroger in a long time, so anyways, it's exciting to know that you guys know what it is. So we stopped at this grocery store called Kroger, And I was old enough that my mom could leave me in the car, and she said, hey, wait here, and I'm going to go into the store and uh, grab some groceries, and then we'll head home. And I was like, okay, great. And back in the day, we didn't have, like, the technology that we have today, so I didn't have, like, a phone or a tablet or something to, like, keep me occupied while I was sitting in the car. So the only thing left to do was look out the window. 
And so I was looking out the window, just minding my own business, looking around, and I see a guy from my church. My first reaction was like, oh, hey, there's so-and-so from a church. And I was in my heart, he, I was in a car, so like he had no idea that I was thinking these thoughts. But I'm like, oh, cool, there, there's our friend from church. And then I see him like pull up from his hand a cigarette and take one last, one last puff, throw it on the ground, stomp it out, and walk in the store. This is terrible, okay? Now, this is anti-gospel. This is exactly what I'm talking about, and I'm exposing myself in, in full, fully this morning, okay? So here, and I don't know why this is grained in my head, but here's what's crazy, is my next thought was, I thought he was a Christian. As if, him smoking or not smoking had anything to do with his right standing with God and fellowship as a believer. And I feel like I've repented of that, but I'm showing you and I'm telling you, if we're not careful, some of the assumptions that we develop about one another put us at odds with one another when we don't understand the truth of the gospel that actually brings unity in the body of Christ. Now, is smoking a good thing? Absolutely not. It's terrible for you. You can develop cancer and die from it. Like, would I recommend anyone to smoke? No. But does it have any bearing on that individual's relationship with Jesus or right standing with God? No, it absolutely doesn't. And is it a personal choice that I would make? No, because I don't want to die early. I have four children that I want to see grow up, right? But I'm telling you, like, it's before you know it, we can develop these set of assumptions and things and, and expectations of people that, that make us break fellowship with them and think, oh man, like I don't know if I can like associate with that person anymore. And instead of leaning in to gospel-centered fellowship with other people, I'm tempted to lean away and say, oh, I don't know, that person's, that person's kind of messy I don't know if I can like be in relationship with that person. And that's what the things, the thoughts that Peter was dealing with was like, oh man, here comes this group of people that have this expectation of what a Christian, a good Jewish Christian should look like. And these people don't meet their dietary requirements. These people don't meet the, uh, the circumcision requirements. And so they're different than I am. And so shoot, before they look, I got to step away. And it was very wrong. And so Peter or Paul confronted him about this thing. And he said it was worth it. So the danger is that uh, this is, and this is why it's so important for Paul to oppose Peter to his face, is often we take our prejudices and we allow it to cause division and break fellowship. And instead of advancing the gospel in our community, we find ways to break fellowship with one another and we become fractured and a watching world is looking and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I don't want to have anything to do with a God that they claim loves them when they can't even love one another, when they can't even be unified in fellowship with one another because of the fractures that we see happen based on prejudices that we may have developed throughout our life. And can I be really transparent with you this morning is that this is an area that God has had to do some major work in my life. I think back to that time as a kid and the assumption that that person, that individual, that man who was a friend of our family and a very kind man and the assumption that he was not a Christian because he had a cigarette in his mouth. And it really makes me sad 
Because the next time I saw him at church, here's what I did. I kind of stepped to the side. Because the assumption was, you're, you're unclean. I can no longer, we, you've broken fellowship because of a choice that you've made that has nothing to do with gospel unity. And as a kid, like, I mean, I'm like 10 or maybe 10, 9 or 10 years old. And I'm having these thoughts based on the way and my understanding of the actual true gospel that puts me in right standing with God because of what Jesus alone has done for me and actually brings me into fellowship with other believers who are incredibly different than I am. And so here's the transparency. As God is working through this, even in my own life and in in study and preparation for this message, I gotta admit that sometimes I have a hard time functionally believing that Jesus is enough. Intellectually, I understand it. Biblically, I understand it, and I believe it at my core. But there's some things that I've experienced in my life, some ways that I grew up that cause me to wonder and cause me to question, man, is Jesus really enough to put me in right fellowship with other people? In the same way, Peter was raised as a Jew following all the Jewish customs and laws in order to be in right standing with God. So at some level, it didn't seem fair that the Gentiles got to inherit the same kingdom of God that he did after working his whole entire life to follow all the laws. And can I be honest with you? There's a part of me that God is still doing some transforming work in my own heart because I worked really hard to follow all the rules. I was given a list of rules. Read your Bible, pray, be a good person. Don't have sex before marriage. Marriage. Don't smoke, don't drink. Do all these things that had nothing to do with my relationship with Jesus and my right standing with God. And I did them. I was really good. On the outside, I looked really clean. But on the inside, I was dead. Because I didn't trust that Jesus was enough. And so, gospel unity actually produces fellowship with people who are vastly different from us. It's Christ-centered fellowship. And I'm not saying that this is the culture of Bethel Community Church, but I am saying, let's take Paul's warning and look at it and recognize our own human tendencies to find division among the people that are sitting in the room, among the people that God has, by his grace, brought together through, in fellowship through Jesus Christ and our very human temptation to break fellowship with people who are different who maybe we look at and say, oh, that person's more messy than I am. That person doesn't follow the rules like I do. And so I don't know if I can hang out with them. And let's trust that what God did for them through Jesus was actually enough just like it was for me. So when I misunderstand the gospel or when I lose sight of the gospel, I'm tempted to think that there's more that's required to be in right standing with God 
than Jesus. But when I understand the truth of the gospel, that Jesus, even in all my righteous living, Jesus took my life and he rescued me from the grips of death, hell, and the grave, not because I followed the rules, but because he loved me and he died in my place. And he did the same for you. And so we can find unity with one another. We can sit in the same room with people from different political views, from different cultural backgrounds, from different religious backgrounds, from different ethnical backgrounds. We can sit in the same room with incredibly different people and yet worship the same God because he's the one who chose to bring us together in fellowship by his grace and by the price that Jesus paid on the cross for us, not because we get it right every time, not because we have life figured out. And so it's incredible to me to look at a room filled with people who are so different than one another and yet be able to be unified under the banner of Jesus. And so we have a choice, church. We have a choice to make each and every day. And this is why it's so important to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel is that the choice that we have to make is we can choose to ignore the truth of the gospel and continue to find things that divide us and break fellowship with those whom God has rescued and brought into the family of God by his grace and his grace alone. Or we can find unity and fellowship with those God has chosen to rescue by his grace, trusting that what Jesus did for them was just as good as what he did for me. I hope that we can be a people, I hope that we can be a church that fights for gospel unity and stands united under the banner of Jesus and that we trust that what Jesus did was actually enough. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for um, what we see in Scripture today and what we see the the confrontation that Paul was willing to have with a friend and a co-laborer in Christ in order to fight for gospel unity. Lord, I pray that as we go throughout our lives and we, we go our different ways this week, that our interactions with each other and, and with the people that we see in our community, um, the believers that you have put in our path, Lord, I pray that we would find unity with those people and that we would be united under the banner of Jesus. And, and instead of finding ways to put us at odds with one another or divide each other, that a watching world would look and they would see that there are people who love one another because they've experienced the love of the Father. Lord, I pray that we would believe not just intellectually, but functionally. I pray that we would operate as if we believe that what you did for us was enough to put us in right standing with you and in fellowship with one another and that we would live in light of that truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do and we pray these things in Jesus' name.